Please uh, take a seat and open to Nehemiah chapter 3, which was page 486 of the Church Bibles, page 486. Uh, On the back of uh, your service sheets you'll see an outline of uh, where we'll be heading uh, as we look at that passage together and you'll note that uh, we won't actually get to Nehemiah for a little while. Uh, We'll be looking at some passages uh, from Ephesians and they're printed for you on the back of the service sheet just so you don't have to flick around uh, in the Bible too much. But hopefully uh, that will help you as we go along. Now, I love Sheffield. The longer uh, I'm here, the longer uh, my family is here, the more this is the case for us. I love her hills and valleys. I love her ridiculously narrow streets uh, where I have learned finally to be a polite driver. I love her football grounds, uh, packed to capacity to watch teams that rarely win. (laughs) I I love her attitude. Uh, I love uh, that there is poetry printed on the side of her university buildings. I love her Henderson's relish. Uh, I love Sheffield. And I'm sure tonight I'm not alone. And tell me, if you share my love, uh, perhaps not for Henderson's relish or Sheffield United, but for this city... How would you describe her to someone who asked, uh, what's Sheffield like? Well, hold that thought for a moment and let me introduce you to Nehemiah, uh, who we read of uh, in this book named after him. A man who also loves his city. A man who has been away from his city for some time and is desperate to know news of his city. Tell me what it's like. And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, we have a report of the news of the day. People who have been there recently come to him and tell him and you see in chapter 1 verse 3 their report. What's his city like? This city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah's city? Well those who are in the city are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have broken down and its gates have been burned. And what's his city like? Well it is the sort of place that breaks your heart. That's what you see in chapter 1 verse 4. That's Nehemiah's response. And it's the sort of place that brings you to your knees in prayer. And the thing is that this news that Nehemiah gets is not just a bad moment for Jerusalem where things were terrible before they went back up again. No, some 600 years later, Jesus looking over the same city, the view is no better. Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And here's the thing. If we are seeing our own city clearly tonight, as God does, if we were honest when we were asked, what is Sheffield like? Along with the things that we love about Sheffield, we would have to say that the news is no different. Because the news of Jerusalem is the news of every city in our world, even our city. All around us people are harassed and helpless. All around us is a city where the news is that those in the city are in great trouble and disgrace. And what are we to do in the face of that? Well on this service Sunday our response I think has to be the same as Nehemiah's and ultimately the same as Jesus. First we need to be those who grieve for our city. Sheffield is the sort of place that should break your heart. And we need to be those who pray for our city. Sheffield is the sort of place that brings you to your knees. And third, and this is what we are focusing on tonight, Sheffield is the sort of place that you should give your life for. 
Give your life to the work that God is doing in our city. And so tonight it is with great joy and deep conviction I commend to you the vision for the work of this church. Knowing the state of our city, we are committed to giving ourselves to the work of training leaders for this church and well beyond. Planting churches to reach the lost, the harassed and helpless of our city and growing forward that God may be honoured on this hill. And the wonderful thing is that God continues to move our hearts for that work. He keeps moving us uh, to prayer. Many of us were there on Wednesday night praying for these very things together. He uh, is moving us to sacrificially give of our money. And tonight we call on him to move us to give our whole lives, all that we are, uh, to this work, the work of this church. And what I want to do for you tonight is I want to show you three things Three things that I hope will make clear why giving your whole life, everything you are and have, to this vision is worth it. And we looked at these things this morning and we're looking at it again tonight and I make no apology for that because this is our common vision. We are in this together. We need to see these things together. And so if we are going to give our lives to this work, if we're going to see why that's worth it, the three things that we need to see are printed there on your outline. The first is this. You need to see what God is doing in our city. He's building his church. God's uh, clear declaration all the way through the scriptures and most clearly perhaps in Matthew 16 is this. What is he doing in our city? He says, I will build my church. He builds his church on one solid foundation, the only solid foundation this world has seen, the mighty death and resurrection of his son. You see, it's the victorious risen Lord Jesus who is over all and under all and through all that this church is about. We are about him. And God is taking people like you and I, people who were, Ephesians 2 tells us, dead in sin, turned away from their maker, living in ways that lead only to judgment. He takes people like that and through faith in the gospel of his son, he turns them around. He makes them alive again, forgiven and free to walk in ways that don't lead to judgment but please him. And the wonderful thing is that every time he raises a person to new life by the gospel of his son, he binds them together into one family, one church, his church. See what God is building in this city. He is building his church. A place where he dwells with his people and he is at the heart of all we do a place where he is worshipped and we delight in how good he is, a place where his word is honoured and where his people live radical lives together that show how good it is to live his way, how good it is to obey his voice. Do you want to know why he's doing it? Well, have a look at uh, the first passage that is printed on the back of the service sheet there, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, and you'll see it. It's magnificent. You see, through building this church, God is in the process of displaying to the entire universe his master plan, his masterpiece, holding up in triumph to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. As the rulers and authorities look on, they they see him building his church, they see it all across the world and they see it here tonight and they see how wise a builder he really is. As the heavenly angels are peering on this gathering tonight, they tremble in awe imagine that? The angels in heaven looking in on this gathering, this humble gathering and trembling at how amazing God is. 
And as the evil principalities, those who delight in how broken our city is, as they look on, they see the wise plan that God is using to finally defeat them. God holds up his church as his victory banner saying he wins. And so Ephesians is saying to us tonight, the news of all the ages is you. This is where the action is. Not in Westminster, not uh, with the iPad, whatever the latest gadget may be, not with Wall Street, definitely not in Melbourne earlier today with uh, Andy Murray. If the BBC wanted to capture the big news story of today, they would be here, right here. The whole universe is watching. Why give your life to this project? Because you could not give your life to a more wise, more awe-inspiring, more victorious work than this. God is building his church. Here's the second thing uh, you need to see. See how he builds. Uh, He builds through a word that mends, that repairs. He, He builds now as he always has. He speaks his word to his church. Now have a look at the second uh, passage that's printed on the outlines there, Ephesians 4, 10 and 11, and you'll see how he does this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What God does in his church is he raises up people who speak his word to his church And for a very clear purpose. Do you see it there in verse 12? To prepare them. Or more literally, uh, the word prepare there is the Greek word to mend, uh, mending fishing nets. What the word of God does is it puts broken things back together. It puts broken lives back together. That's the job of the pastors and the teachers of this church. That's the job of anyone who speaks the word of God to another in this church. Uh, Paul uh, Williams, our our vicar, he has many different titles that he's given by the Anglican Church and uh, by us here, you can call him vicar, you can call him boss, uh, whatever you want to call him. But his uh, actual official title is this, he's a curate. Uh, He's given for this parish the cure of souls. His job is to put lives back together. And he's only got one tool in his kit. He is a one-trick pony. And as am I, the assistant curate. That is why teaching the word of God is the unashamed number one agenda of the pastors, teachers of this church. This is the word that puts lives back together. We have no other tool. And know this, it means that our church, that while it does declare even to the heavenly realms God's wisdom and victory, it doesn't mean that we together are some elite SAS crew powerfully on the march, all perfectly in unison. We're more like a hospital ward full of patients in various stages of disrepair, including the curate. But here's the wonder of verse 12. God speaks his word to prepare to mend people for works of service. He takes people uh, in need of repair and as his word does its work on them, they too are brought into the work of rebuilding others. It's the very task we were meant to have in life. You are meant to be a worker in God's building project. And so every week uh, when we gather like this, every time we speak God's word uh, of truth in love to one another, we are gearing each other up by God's grace for the works he has for us. And so look around tonight. Welcome to God's wise, awesome plan for this city. 
we are a fellowship of builders. Bound together increasingly by our knowledge and love of Jesus, we are a fellowship of servants serving the King. And know this about us, the church, this church, is not God's side project, his hobby on Sundays. This is his main event. He gave his life for this project. And so this church is not your side project either. It is the main event of your life, worth giving your life for. The third thing I want you to see is to see what it would look like to do that, to see what it looks like on the ground to be involved in this project. That's where we turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 and I hope you've got that open, page 486. And you'll see what it looks like uh, here for us on the ground at Canterbury Avenue and in our homes and our workplaces and amongst our friends and all the networks that we're a part of in this city. Well, Nehemiah 3 is going to show us that. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, to read Nehemiah 3 is not an immediately exciting experience, is it? Uh, I imagine uh, even as Rob was reading it, reading it very well, I, I must admit, uh, it's easy to think, yeah, I got the point by about verse 2. Couldn't we have just stopped and uh, sung or something, anything, but listened to this endless list of names? Uh, I get it, a bunch of people built something. But this is no ordinary project, nor ordinary group of people. Now, this is the story of God's people rebuilding a city on the hill in Jerusalem. Some 38 names are gathered in different working groups, working all throughout the regions of Jerusalem, but totally united in this one project. And so scan your eyes over Nehemiah 3 and you will see a magnificent picture of the work we as servants are about. And what I want to do is I want you to come with me for a moment into the passage and I want to show you a few snapshots of what we are doing together. Now have a look first at verse 17. Did you notice this as it was being read out? Uh, next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites. Beside him, Hashabiah carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen and next to him, Ezar repaired another section. And the work is immense, but if you zoom in on the detail, what you see is incredible. Builder after builder standing side by side, each about their own task, but very much one. And is that not a great picture of who we are as a church family? And the tasks before each one of us are diverse. Our work is spread out over a great area and yet if you zoom in, this is what you see. Now think of what's happening this evening. Uh, think of those who served you as you walk through the doors, those who will serve you at Spud Bar tonight. Now think of those who will be on the welcome desk. Uh, think of the musos who have led us in praise I think of those this morning who built up our children. Chris Myring was working next to Ollie Rowe who was side by side with Fiona and Peter Jamison who built the church alongside Gemma Thompson and she alongside Vlad. The picture is incredible. And think about what's going to happen uh, this week. Take for instance our small groups. Uh, there are over 50 of them but again if you zoom in it's an incredible sight. In forward, Beryl Mottram built the church. Next to her were Richard and Judith Chester, side by side with Billy Thor. She built uh, next to Ron and Betty Underdown, who were alongside Nick and Charette Morley. They built alongside Fiona Begby, who was near Guy Smith, side by side with Godfrey Smallman. 
They in turn had Roger and Maggie Wright next to them who worked beside Guy and Sue Lachlan. It's incredible, isn't it? And I haven't even scratched the surface of just the small groups. And then you've got all the youth small groups as well. The picture is breathtaking. And that's just one small section of the project. I haven't mentioned those who work with internationals, Sally Hall working next to Tricia Ware, who work side by side with Helen Skelton next to Simon Oatridge beside Michelle Hunt, building this church on the one foundation of the Lord Jesus. And think of those who will sort the catering for this church family this week. It's a big week for the catering team. There's a missionary supper on Monday night, there's CE on Tuesday, there's Friday Club, literally building up the church. Judith Jones building alongside Marilyn Stanley who were side by side with Michael and Maureen Clark who work next to David Ling and Grace Thomas. The detail's breathtaking, isn't it? And the scale is awesome. Across the districts of Sheffield and Fullwood, Nethergreen, Lodgemore, Crook, Stannington, Dronfield, Rotherham, you name it. And the work done here on site is just one small part, isn't it? There are teams working everywhere in households, one-to-ones in Cream Cafe, workplaces, universities, schools. And then there's the work done by servants well beyond Fullwood, uh, the ministry support team all around Sheffield the soup run, uh, prison ministry, glod camps, the oaks, you name it. You see what being involved looks like? It looks like a fellowship of builders. And who does the work? Do you see it there in Nehemiah? Everyone. Absolutely everyone. It's not a project for a few paid staff. It's not a project for the chosen few, but the chosen many. In fact, that's why he speaks his word to you, to prepare you to serve. And he only gathers those he needs. There's no excess, no passengers. And every time he raises up a new person in Christ, it's because he has a job for them. And you see in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8 of Nehemiah, it takes all sorts to build this city. Uzziel, the son of Hariah, was one of the goldsmiths and repaired the next section and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, built next to him. Now I love this, they're building a wall with doors and bolts and bars. What does a perfume maker know about that sort of thing? Is he going to run around uh, dispensing deodorant, making sure everyone's got enough of that? I'm not sure what his job was, but he was there. Because there's no CV, uh, there's no prior experience needed when it comes to being part of this working project. God's building strategy takes all sorts and his word will prepare you for the task he has And while we're on who builds, note note that it's not just all sorts, it's also whole families. In verse 12 we're told that Shalom, son of Haloesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The project is so big, so vital for our city that it takes whole families. And so to the families here, let me encourage you to raise the agenda of serving in your family your whole family. Uh, Workers, uh, as you head off to work, do do your children know that uh, as you head to work each day you go as a servant of the king for his glory? Do they know what you're doing here? Do they know why your house gets filled up with adults once a week in a small group or why they suddenly appear on a Wednesday night? Do they know why you have students for lunch on Sunday other than that they're needy? Do they know that as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord? 
And notice the work of families is often done on the home front, isn't it? Verse 23, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. Now one of the great myths of being a servant in this church is that it all happens here on this hill. Now there is an immense work done here, huge. But this is just one place in the building project. Now think of the colossal work of raising children in the training instruction of the Lord. Think of the work of caring for ageing or unwell parents. Now the work of Christian friendship. This is the work that God's word prepares you for. And don't be surprised if you're a worker that being a servant is hard, exhausting. You're a servant. And don't be surprised either if sometimes the jobs that you do aren't that appealing. Have a look at verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malkajar, son of Rechab. A ruler did that job. Uh, he'd be used to having his underlings uh, go and do his dirty work, but he marks in. And if you're curious as to what the dung gate was used for, if you're imagining a worst-case scenario, you're probably right on the money. And yet he does it. Something that seemed uh, beneath, uh, in verse 5, the rulers uh, of Tekoa, they wouldn't stoop to those levels. They pay people to serve. Now, not this guy. He mucks in. And brothers and sisters, there is much to be done uh, in this fellowship of builders. And when it comes to the task handed out, there's no status other than the one Christ gives us, saved by grace. And so there's going to be plenty of background jobs, isn't there? Unnoticed jobs, even ugly jobs. But they're all going to be crucial for the task of building this church to maturity in Christ. And so see tonight, this great project involves you. Celebrate what we are doing together. Encourage one another as you see each other about this work and anticipate what the King may yet have for us to do. And as we close, I want to invite each one of us to respond to what we have seen. When you realise what you are in on as God's church, when you realise how glorious it really is, how awesome it is, it should stop you in your tracks. It's like C.S. Lewis said, he says, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes a person serious. And that's what the church should do for you. It should stop you and say, this is big. I need to think hard about what my involvement is going to look like. And so to that end, I want to invite you to respond by taking time to discuss how you might be encouraged and equipped to keep serving the King this year and beyond. And to do that, I hope there's going to be many just normal, informal discussions amongst us tonight and in the weeks to come, but I want to be more deliberate than that. And so let me encourage you, hopefully you've got this with you in your, in your service sheet, this booklet. And essentially what this booklet does is inside you will see a summary of what we've been thinking about tonight, the things that we have seen. And that's for you to take home and to continue to pray about. Uh, but then on the right-hand side is a, a perforated section which is uh, not for taking home but for taking action uh, right now. And essentially well, what you're doing if you fill in that side of the form is you are saying, I would like to meet up with someone in the leadership of this church to discuss how I could be encouraged uh, to be a worker, to be a servant in this church. And we'd love to meet with you. We'd love to discuss that with you. We'd love to encourage you. Uh, I'm going to give you a moment uh, to, to fill that in, uh, in just a, just a minute or so. But if you're wondering, uh, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm not sure if that's for me to fill in, that's surely for the person next to me to fill in. Uh, let me say this. If you've been serving in this church family for some time, thank you. 
Uh, Many of the blessings we enjoy as a church family have come because of what God has done through you and we'd love to meet with you and encourage you. Or you might be someone who feels, I I hardly do anything here and that's because uh, even though I'd love to be involved, I'm flat out with our work and family and other commitments. Uh, Again, we'd love to meet with you to encourage you to press on in serving in the ways God has already called you to. Or you might be new or perhaps you've been here for some years and you walk around this church a bit like the, the chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, this building project and it looks so busy you, you can't see where you fit in. Well, trust me, there's plenty to, still to do. And so come and explore that. Or maybe you're here from a, another church, uh, you've moved here uh, uh, recently and you are still bruised from past experiences. Or perhaps you were bruised here and you're sitting back uh, wanting a rest and not sure if you can get back up again when it comes to serving. Or perhaps uh, you were someone who stepped back from ministry in the past because of sin and you feel that you've been relegated forever. Well, no, this is a community of grace full of sinners so it would be great to meet with you, to encourage you to see where to from here. And finally, perhaps you're someone who's in a ministry and you feel ill-equipped or you're overstretched, you've got too many plates spinning in the air and you're not sure which one to let drop. Or perhaps you're only going to be in Sheffield for a few years and you're not sure whether it's worth getting stuck in. Well, come and chat. Let's see what God has in mind. So I'm going to give you a few moments there. Essentially, uh, I I hope in those uh, examples I've covered virtually everyone in this room. If not, uh, you too. Uh, let, me, let me just say that uh, we'd love to encourage you. Uh, we'd love to encourage you in the work that you are doing or perhaps encourage you to see what else God may have in mind. So I'm going to give you a few minutes uh, to do that. Now there's pens at, hopefully at the end of uh, most rows and so if you see a pen around you feel free uh, to pass that along the rows uh, so that everyone uh, can fill this in if they want to. And uh, after the service, after our final song, there'll be boxes on each of the doors uh, to collect these so please feel free Uh, to put them in uh, then. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that now. You're the peace to the restless 